Daily Thrones is back, and I watched that episode again last night. The fifth time I've watched the fourth episode of Season 7, and I watched it with someone who hadn't seen it before yet, and it was just as effective on them. They were nervous the whole time, just as I was the first time, and that, of course, made me re-nervous again. It was like I was experiencing the episode again for the first time, and it really is amazing, thrilling, nerve-wracking, and explosive. What a great job everyone did on this episode, which of course means your reactions are still coming in, your thoughts are still coming in. We're going to talk today things about like the Night King history, and why is Bran withholding information, continuing, continuing from yesterday, can Cersei win, how could she win, and what about Littlefield's uh, little field, little finger, thinking about the field of fire, and little fingers, chances in the north. What is happening up there with him? He is faltering, he is slipping. Chaos is a ladder. Is he about to fall off? That's what we'll be talking about here today, and much more. Your calls fuel this station here on Anchor. It's Daily Thrones. A quick look at the world of ice and fire. Hey, Ken, Kevin Ross. Yes, Cersei can win, but she has to have the north and the south. Uh, united against a common enemy, which would be the White Walkers. And then Cersei has to betray everyone, allowing the White Walkers to take out her enemies. That's how Cersei wins. It's uh, triangulating uh, a common foe and then backstabbing uh, at the end of the day. And I believe Cersei will do that because she'll withhold the Lannister forces at the very last minute uh, with Jon and Danny at the wall. And then who's ever left... Uh, she can then formulate another plan from there. And that's what Cersei does. Take a little, take a little, take a little till it's all done. Uh, that's how Cersei can win. Thanks. Hey, Ken. I absolutely love the spoils of war. It was my favorite episode of the season, but I'm calling in to talk about what, say what you feel brought up about Littlefinger. I totally agree. He's out of his element in the North. It's tempting to see him as this eternally Machiavellian genius because he's been so effective for so long, but no Machiavellian genius is eternal. Littlefinger is human and he's fallible, just like every other character in the story. And when human fallible characters find themselves in situations that they don't understand or situations where their skill sets don't fit their circumstances, they stumble and fall. Sometimes they recover and climb higher than ever, Cersei, Danny, John, etc. Other times they pay for that mistake with their wife, Ned, Rob, Oberyn, etc. Littlefinger isn't immune to that. He's just managed to keep himself out of that adverse situation longer than most, but now he's somewhat stuck. Chaos may be a ladder, but remember what comes next in that quote. Many who try to climb it fail and never get to try again. The fall breaks them. I think Littlefinger might be about to fall, and I think his fall might be coming at Sansa's hands. The wolves are circling him. As the dust settles on spoils of war and the flames die down, we can start to look ahead to Episode 5, Eastwatch, and that will, of course, bring some big surprises, I'm sure. I'm anticipating some kind of big shocks to come, partly because once you look back on spoils of war, as great as it was, I've seen it five times now, it's a great episode, it's a great battle, it is great television, it is one of the best episodes of Game of Thrones, that I am sure. We've, we talked about it in other places. We've talked about it here. There was not a loss. There hasn't been a death yet. Now, this, this next week could bring the death of Braun, could bring the death of Jamie, but that episode didn't have a big, shocking death, and that is certainly a trademark. Uh, a friend of mine on Twitter, VJ Miller, uh, VJ Miller, check it in, said, uh, you know, Ilarius Sands' death, Tyene's death, the Queen of Thorns, 
great deaths, great in the annals of Game of Thrones, but not shocking. We kind of could see them coming. We kind of could have guessed they might have come. So are we still going to get a big, shocking death this season of Game of Thrones? I think the answer has to be yes. Now, does Braun count as a shock? It's a shock because we love the character, but he is still a side character from a certain point of view, not tied to the bigger plot, definitely not in the books, and not necessarily tied to it now. We could be without Braun, and the story could still go on. I don't want to be without Braun. I know most of you don't either. So is his death the shock we're talking about? I don't know. I look to Eastwatch. I look to Eastwatch by the sea. That is a good place to predict shocking death. Could it be Tormund? Is Beric Dondari in a shocking death? Again, kind of a side character. Hib and Thor Samir. I like those guys, but I'm kind of resigned to the fact that they won't survive. Tormund has become a fan favorite. He is not necessarily the same Tormund Giant Spain from the books. He's amalgamation of some other characters, but it doesn't matter. He is his own character. Tormund is definitely Tormund. He has uh, worked his way into our hearts, not quite into Bran's heart yet. I could see him dying. I'd love him to go to the end. I'd love him to see Jon Snow to the end and serve him in some kind of way and serve by his side and help him rule. Tormund and Jon Snow are a great team, but I could see Tormund's death happening and happening soon. I don't necessarily know if there's going to be a big battle in these watch. I actually haven't studied a lot of the pictures that have been released by Entertainment Weekly or HBO for this week. I'm trying to go into this week with, uh, not, I will say, a lack of spoilers. I just kind of want to experience the episode on its own. Sometimes those pictures, you can start to connect the dots, and I don't want to know. But the question remains, what might be a shocking death this week? What might be a shocking death this season? I thought Yara Greyjoy would be one of the first to go. Again, not necessarily shocking, much like Aloria and the Queen of Thorns. Cersei, Jaime, Danny, John, Tyrion, Jorah, Davos, Varys, Littlefinger, Sansa, Arya, Brienne. Those are the characters whose deaths I would consider shocking in a Game of Thrones tradition. What do you guys think? What might we be getting in Eastwatch? Let me know. Let's talk shocking deaths here on Daily Thrones. Hey, Ken, so with all this, like, talk of Danny going bad, one thing that occurred to me, could a dragon dying be the catalyst that sends her on her way to, you know, so to speak, the dark side? Because the reason I say that, the dragons are her children. They are, they are to her her children, and nothing is worse than when, you know, you lose a child in life. That That's, like, the worst thing that could possibly happen. So if that happens... Could the emotion that that brings out in her bring out the dark side in her? Eric Monroe with a great idea, great call, great thought starter about well, what happens if Danny loses a dragon. I mean, we saw in season two, she loses her dragons, they're kidnapped, she goes a bit batty. But you have to understand, you have to be, well, compassionate and have empathy for Danny. Those are her children in her mind. She said it again during this uh, this week's episode. Those are her children so all this talk of danny going bad danny being determined danny being stubborn 
Rooting for against Danny doesn't matter. We have to wonder what would the death of a dragon do to her. With Drogon injured, she lost focus. With Drogon injured, she was more worried about pulling out the the spear, or excuse me, the scorpion arrow out of her dragon's uh, side, understandably, but she lost track of it all. Jamie could have killed her. If he'd thrown that spear, he might have killed her. Instead, he did a full charge, and, well, we nah, we saw what happened. So, that's a good that's a good X factor, a good variable to this discussion about Danny going bad. She loses a dragon. Does she absolutely lose it? What do you guys think? Hey, Ken. I've noticed a few people online pointing out that in the cave, the drawing of the Night's King, he had a beard. And now, as we've seen, the Night's King, as of right now, does not have a beard. So, that makes me wonder, have there been multiple Night Kings? Or is this just the same one who maybe somehow lost his old white ice beard? I'm starting to think that maybe there is, like, the White Walkers are more than we think they are. They maybe have a culture. Maybe there have been more than one Night King. Billy with a call and a question about the Night King and the Night's King and what we saw in that cave on Dragonstone. And this, of course, gets into the history of the Night's King, which we do now believe is different than... The Night King on the show. It was confusing at first, and as uh, as a book reader, when when we first saw the the Night King in uh, season four, taking Craster's uh, son from his, uh, his soldier and turning him into one of them, I got excited. A lot of people got excited. Oh, that's the Night's King, the Night's King, the fabled Night's King from the books, from old man's stories. And we do know a lot about the Night King if you go back and study some of the history. And there's some great videos out there. And look, here at Daily Thrones, I'm pretty open and honest. There's so much there's so much great Game of Thrones content out there. And I highly encourage you check out wonderful places like Charlie Snyder at Emergency Awesome. Alt-Shift-X's channel is great for history. The History of Westeros and GOT Academy are just some of the many channels that are out there and the ones that I watch. I highly encourage you to check that out if you're more interested in the history of the Night's King. Uh, I can't go into it as much here. Uh, you can find out more about him there. He was uh, he was alive during the ages, Age of Heroes. He was the uh, Lord Commander of the Night's Watch, 13th, I believe, if memory serves. And he left, and he fell in love with the woman described, uh, you know, skin as white as the moon and eyes like blue stars. Basically, he fell in love with a White Walker. They made sweet, sweet, cold love. And then he found himself in love with her. She was his queen. He declared himself king. And he ruled from the night fort. This is also why uh, the uh, Castle Black is supposedly doesn't have walls facing to the south. Because when uh, the, uh, the Starks, I believe at the time, was Brandon the Breaker and Joraman named, uh, that's where you get the Horn of Jorman. They all had to team up. He was the king beyond the wall. They got together and they defeated the Night's King. That was his story. He had made sacrifices to the others. There's a lot of great stuff there. He's mentioned a few times in the books. Storm of Swords, Feast for Crows, Old Man told a lot of stories and Bran remembers them. Now I dig, dig up this quote and it's on uh, a wiki of Ice and Fire, a great resource there as well. This is from George R. R. Martin. In the books, he's a legendary figure akin to Lan the Clever, 
and Brandon the Builder, and no more likely to have survived to the present day than they have. Now, this could be a misdirect from George R. R. Martin, or sometimes I believe he's just honest. I believe sometimes he takes, uh, I don't want to say jabs at the HBO show, but there definitely seemed a point somewhere about season four or five where George R. R. Martin distanced himself a little bit from the show. He's still an executive producer, don't get me wrong. He's happy to have this show and about, obviously, with the prequels and development, happy to take HBO's money. But there always seemed to be this this little, uh, you know, after some of the controversial decisions, George R. R. Martin was like, hey, the books are mine, the show is theirs. And when the emergence of the Night King happened and he was identified as the Night King... George was like, that's not necessarily the same one. So as far as what we saw in the cave and the Night's King having a beard, it is interesting, Billy. Is this is this the legendary Night's King? Is this uh, uh, telling us that there are more? When on the show, we saw the children of the forest creating the White Walkers. And it, uh, many believe, I am of the one uh, of, of those ones that believe the, 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 Night, the White Walker we saw getting created by the children was the Night King. Same actor. Uh, so, and that, is that a Stark? We'll figure that out. That, I think, is the bigger question. Is the Night King a Stark? Is the Night's King a Stark? Uh, is, is, uh, is there something all tied? Or maybe Bran is the Night King. We'll figure all that kind of weird stuff out. But to your question, Billy, I think, yeah, there's absolutely a culture within the White Walkers, a.k.a. the others in the book. They're, they're written just a little different. They're not as, well, they're definitely menacing, but they have a sense of humor. They seem to have more of a language. There's... There's more of an actual way that they function. That's why we, it was exciting in Season 4. We saw a little bit in the lands of Always Winter when they took Crafter's son up there. It was, showed a little bit about their culture. So I don't know if the Night King that we saw now at one point grew a beard somehow, some way, and then shaved it off. I think the one we saw on the wall, to me, is different than the one we see now. But what do you guys think? What is, in your mind, the Night King, the Night's King, And how are they different on the show? That's it for now on Daily Thrones.